And I was like, I can't really find a company that that I can buy for, you know, it, it, it just didn't happen for me. So I ended up actually, you know, connecting with Mike Snyder and just saying, I believe in a multi-emic future. I believe that we should look at the whole person. I believe we should pull all this data together and just synthesize it. And only AI can actually make sense out of the synthesis. And we should help people not get sick, at least the basic lifestyle sickness. Yes, there are the genetic factors and lots of other factors. There's your zip code. There's so many Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Nusheen Hashemi. She's the CEO of January.i. She's a very accomplished woman. We're lucky to have her on the show. If you missed part one, please go back and learn about her time at Oracle, helping them grow from $26 million in revenue to over a billion in revenue while she was ahead of US. We're going to talk more about three billion. I'm sorry. We're going to be talking later. We're going to be talking about the investing her family office does and, and things with her family foundation. But I think where we want to start this one, Nusheen, is thinking about both what you've been a part of and what you've observed. Um, what are the innovation lessons that have been most powerful for you and, and how are you applying them now? Yeah, thanks. Well, I think the biggest one is really diversity. I think diversity is critical to innovation. So you really need a range of voices to make sure that you're not shortchanging your vision. By kind of living in an echo chamber, I've, you know, all of us are guilty of this. When it comes to turning vision and market opportunities and customer needs into products, it's really important to consider a range of experiences and views, like in our case, hardware, how hardware is used, software, content, community, marketing. It, it's just so many things. Like think of a pro- product like Peloton, right? It's, it's hardware, but it's community and content as well that keeps people really engaged and, commu- and, and committed. I would say the, you know, the, the best example that I've observed, one of the best, absolute best examples I've ever observed in my life is the iPod. And it's like really the journey that Apple took from the iPod to the iPhone, well, to create the iPod in the first place. So, you know, we had MP3 players. I don't know if you're too young to remember Napster. We had we had all these things we were struggling with. Every conference I went to, somebody talked about, you know, music and bringing it to, into the digital realm. We tried many ways of sharing music. And there were so many technological obstacles. There were IP issues. They were entrenched models you know, like the idea of an album that was really in the way of consumers getting real choice. And so what Steve did was to really innovate on multiple fronts. He created a new piece of hardware. So the iPod click wheel paid homage to the old analog phones of yesteryear, which was really easy for people to get and use. It was really small and powerful, you know, a thousand songs in your pocket, for the pers- first time, people could advance a song digitally and listen to the part they wanted as opposed to like advance their cassette and like forward it and then it didn't work and go back and forth, which was really a, a huge innovation to be able to get exactly to the piece that, that you wanted. Um, but the other amazing thing that Steve did, which was, which was just phenomenal, is that he solved the business, business problem. He innovated on the business model. 
So he licensed and bought music libraries, which, which addressed the IP issues that people had. The music industry had a whole problem with, with, with the IP, obviously. They wanted to be paid for their innovations and for their talent. And then he negotiated a rate, 99 cents per song. He put a stake in the ground, which no one had had the confidence, the, the balls to do. And so this changed absolutely everything. So, so then, you know, after consecutive iterations on the iPod, you know, in every size and color and every which way, he then killed his baby and put all that into the iPhone, which just, just not many people on planet Earth just have the courage to obsolete a product that successful in that short of a time frame because he thought it would be a better user experience. Uh, for people. So I think solving something on a technological level, you know, with the hardware, the software, you know, with being able to advance something, the business model that he did, the pricing, the IP, the, I mean, I think that's one of my absolute favorite innovations because it is interdisciplinary. And I think that is what we're about to, of course, it led to, you know, streaming and it just took us to the whole kind of streaming revolution and just this intermediated the idea of the album kind of allowed people to just listen to whatever they wanted to listen to. And now with streaming, I mean, it's even, it's even more so the AI is playing things for you. You know, it's, it's, it's really fantastic because the whole discovery music discovery has been reinvented because the AI kind of knows what you're looking for and just keeps playing for you. And you can, you can modify that. So I, I see the same thing happening with healthcare. I think finally, this is the moment. This is the moment when we're going to see consumerization of health. I think there are so many things that still has to happen, have to happen, of course. The best and the brightest have to come into healthcare, which they don't today. They're still sitting, you know, dealing with big ad. They're still doing ad tech. You know, the best and the brightest are still working at Google and Facebook and Google is getting 90% of its revenues from ad sales still today. So some of the smartest people on this planet are still working on advertising. And let me not even comment on Facebook because I really actually like Google as a, as a product. And so I think what we're about to see is this, um, you know, massive consumerization of healthcare where multiple things have to, innovate. we have to innovate on multiple fronts. We have to innovate on hardware, like, continuous glucose monitors, we will have continuous ketone monitors and lactate monitors and continuous cortisol monitors. And all of these things are happening. We're going to have the internet of body. We're going to put all these things. We're going to know all these things that are happening in our body. Wearables are going to explode. They're going to be, you know, several dozen continuous glucose monitors alone coming onto the market in the next three to five years. You know, Apple Watch, as you know, is becoming more and more health-centered. So you will see explosions in the wearables. You will then see, we're going to have, you've seen telemedicine take off like insanity. It was going to happen, but COVID, of course, put it in massive overdrive. So it just it advanced it by a decade easily. And then you're going to see, you know, a lot of self-testing. You know, you're seeing a lot of people, you know, you had your 23andMe's, but now people are doing everly well. People are taking you know, more and more tests, you've seen microbiome tests, you'll see more and more of those things. So people are going to collect more data on themselves because they're curious and they're interested and they're more, they want to have more control of their own um, health. So you're going to see these explosions of sort of data, personal health data. And then you're going to see massive innovations in AI in trying to make sense out of all of this data and essentially solve those like hard problems of what if 
you know, Jess is 6'4", and he weighs this much, and he has Irish ancestry, and this, and this, and this, and this. what does that mean for what he should have for breakfast today? So, and then we also have to, of course, innovate on the business models, and the current model is just not working. I mean, this couldn't happen any sooner, because we're spending $3.8 trillion on our healthcare system right now. Everyone knows, you know, what we're getting for that. We, it, a lot of the money is going, of course, to just symptoms, it's going to end-of-life care, it's going to disease and death, essentially. And $3.8 trillion will grow to $11.8 trillion by 2040, according to a study by Deloitte. And so can we afford $12 trillion of annual health care? So I think we need to consumerize health. We need to, we need to allow people to take matters into their own hands in in so far as you know getting data about themselves and trying to make sense out of it act on it and be preventative and we need to put more money into prevention from government and government has a big role to play obviously in terms of opening up healthcare and allowing it to consumerize but i think we need to consumerize health the same way that we have seen you know finance and media and so many other industries be cracked open music included. <laughs> okay, so this leads me to my next question, which is, it's a combo question. So it's, what, you know, what have you observed, or what have been like the most important leadership principles to you? And, and secondarily, how do those show up as you're leading an innovation team now? So, I mean, I don't want to say that I don't struggle personally. Like one of the best lessons I've ever learned is, is actually one of my husband's 10 axioms, leadership axioms. One is that you should spend most of your time removing obstacles from your stars. But, you know, we all struggle with this because we end up doing a, a lot of work with the not stars, um, trying to help them become stars or try to sort of change the, the conditions around them so they could they could perform better. So I think that's, that's one of the, really the best lessons that is, that is hard to, that is hard to make into reality, but I think it's really, really important. We discussed earlier, you know, putting a premium, premium on action, just my own leadership style is I do have a sense of urgency. I, you know, I tend to do things in, in spurts, like I'll put five to 10 years into something. And when I'm doing that, I'm very, 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 very focused on that. You know, my 10 years at Oracle were all Oracle. You can ask anyone who worked at Oracle between 85 and 95, and they'll tell you that there was one thing in my life, 18 hours a day, and that was Oracle. That's it. That's not necessarily, you know, I'm not suggesting that that's a great model for everyone else. It's just that I have, I usually make one priority and everything else is kind of secondary to that. So premium on action is really important because I think if you iterate, you will eventually get to the answer. I think, you know, I'm a servant leader myself. So I do, and I'm responsible and I consider myself part of the part of the problem and the solution. I always want to be there doing as opposed to just asking others to do. I think persistence, I mentioned that before, just staying on it and having grit. And that's been really critical to my own success because how else could I have lived like four or five different lives at my age? I've done so many things. So so I think those are those are some of the things that I have I have valued. Um, but I think at the end of the day it all comes down to people, right? It all comes down to people. And that's both, you know, the challenge and the joy. <laughs> Isn't that true? Well I think I think you have such an interesting background because you've both done it and you've invested in other people. So why don't I give like the, the briefest family overview and you can correct me here. Okay. So you and your husband Please. meet at Oracle, 
Then he goes and becomes founding chief technology officer at Yahoo. Then Yahoo goes public, and I'm sure that drastically changed the family net worth, right? <laughs> and then you're doing you're do you got the foundation where you're doing things like our heart at Child Rescue that our listeners have heard a lot about, and and the work that the Hand Foundation does to combat uh, child sexual abuse and all those things. And then in addition to your more traditional investing, you guys are LPs in funds and have invested in mm -hmm. like 130 private companies. Is that right? Yes. So that's a whole nother world and I'm sure has given you so many different insights that you can't get by just being the doer. Let's talk about investing in 130 other private companies. What's, okay. what's one observation from that that you, you are likely leading January differently than if you hadn't done all those investments? There are so many lessons. I know, we'll have to have so you back on like 10 many. times. There's the one observation. Well, I think one or of the... One of the observations. Yes. So I think one of the things is that you can be way ahead of your time. And I think that can be a really big challenge. So I think getting, you know, it's a cliche to say timing is everything, but it really is, it, it is really everything. Like you think about... Going back to the, you know, going to the smartphone. I mean, we had Newton, we had PDAs, we had BlackBerry, we had we had Go where you wrote on things. You know, it took consecutive iterations to get to the get to the iPhone. And I think this being ahead of the market is very painful. And I, I'm one of those people that is generally ahead by, you know, when I was at Stanford Business School, I wrote a business plan for a juice business. This is way, way before Jamba Juice and Press Juice. This is 1992, 1993. And it was years before Jamba Juice even came into place. And I, I have my business plan called The Juicery. And so I think that's one of the challenges that you can have. I invested in a company, in an AR company, and, you know, it was way, way ahead of, way, way ahead of its time. And you can see that with AR and VR companies now they're still kind of struggling to get mass adoption. So I think sometimes uh, when you're ahead, you have to you know persist and you have to keep working on the user experience to be able to get mass adoption. And in the case of the AR I was working with, we made it a, an enterprise product, but it, it continuously struggled. So I think I think timing and being years ahead is is a is a very common problem that that uh, that we see. So I think sometimes you have to really think hard about, always you need to think hard about, is this the right moment? And when I started four years ago, thinking about this area, everyone, including my husband, said it was the craziest idea ever that people just did not want to do what was right. That, you know, research was just showing, like at Google, people were just, they were saying to people, if you do this and this and this, you can go blind, you know, like people with diabetes, and they would still stick the, the cake in their mouth. So people just felt like, yeah, there was no hope. Humans were just hopeless, and they were just going to, but then let's look at, look at us four years later. People are obsessively, you know, people now post-COVID recognize that, A, they could get terribly surprised by having an underlying condition they don't understand. And then they could be at massive, you know, they could have really bad odds with that surprise when the next pandemic comes. They also learn that health is wealth and that you could get wiped out by, you know, not being healthy. And... This is something you could do. So if you have to change things a little bit, a little bit to have better odds, maybe people will do that. I think people are valuing their their health span a lot more. So I think when you work hard, you get lucky. So you stay at it and then things happen outside of your control that actually push you forward and make it all happen. So I think 
this is the moment for for preventative health. This is the moment for precision nutrition. This is the moment for food as medicine. Food as medicine has been around for a long, long, long time. But I think people are finally recognizing, oh, person with ESRD should eat this, not this. This is just going to put them right back into the hospital. Okay, so it comes down to what they're eating, actually. Uh, person with heart failure, you put a lot of salt in their foods, they're going to be back in the hospital routinely, just over and over and over again. So I think this is the moment where we're coming to a lot of these recognitions and realizations. So yes, you can be early, and but you just have to stick with it and stay at it and work on the experience so you can get mass adoption, so you can really benefit from the technology. Yeah, I I really like that kind of that final advice that working on the experience so that you can stimulate that adoption. Any other thoughts for just the decision tree of like how to get like how to get objective about whether I'm early on timing or not if I'm starting something? I have to tell you, this is this is a tough one because entrepreneurs by nature are just optimistic and they're I mean, startups are dead on arrival, right? They're about a story. You're trying to make something happen that didn't didn't exist before. So, you know, we've heard about Steve's distortion, you know, reality distortion. I think entrepreneurs to make things happen, to bring nothing into being something, they are believers foundationally. And when they are believers, sometimes they don't look at the data and they don't look at just what's staring them in the face. And I think this is something that a lot of founders struggle with. And I think the ones that look at data more starkly have an easier path. And I think, you know, it, it, it really is the is if, if, if mass adoption is really the goal because you think life can be so much better for so many people, you know, nobody should get a lifestyle chronic disease. I mean, nobody should anymore, really. We know so much. We know so much. We know, yes, we know so little if you think about 5 billion years of evolution that we have to reverse engineer. But right now, we already know so much. Just listen to Mike Snyder. <laughs> we know so much already that we can help with. So so I think looking at the data is a struggle, but we must. We must look at the data. and We should see what the data is telling us. And I'm telling you, the data is telling us the best and the brightest are sitting, doing things that are not advancing this civilization forward. And to cut human suffering to have a chance at having, you know, healthy communities, we need to put best and brightest need to come and work on hard problems. And healthcare is a hard problem to solve, where you have to innovate on every level, hardware, software, business models to really make a difference. But what an opportunity to now that now that we can take more charge of our health, now that we can get our own monitors, now that it's not just waiting in a doctor office to wait when you can find out for the test that you're going to have to wait for, mm -hmm. you know, like what, what an exciting time as well to be doing what you're doing. Absolutely. I, I, I agree. Yes. At the very same time as we're having some, let's say climate challenges. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, everybody go check out January.ai. Nusheen, one of my favorite questions to ask, maybe we'll end with here. What's one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? That too. I, I'm a big believer in mentors and mentees. I've received a lot of advice in my life. You're like, if there were so many, why can't you mention? Because there are just so many that are coming to my head that, that I think they were there were things necessarily not to do. For example, when I... When I told Larry I wanted to start a company, he said, "No, no, no." This is Larry Ellison at Oracle. Yeah, he had he had bought Lanai, and um, you know he was like, "Let's come, let's turn Lanai to St. Bart's." And I was like, "Yeah, I, I would love to do that. I think my heart is back in tech. I want to go back to tech. So I want to start a company." He said, "Oh, oh, 
he said, you, you really should, you know, go buy a company and run it. I mean, think about, you know, Elon Musk. He didn't, he wasn't thinking Elon Musk at that time necessarily, but, you know, Elon didn't start Tesla, you know, and Twitter wasn't started by, you know, I, so on and so forth. And, you know, and Wojcicki didn't start 23andMe and, and so, so he said, no, 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 go start, you know, go buy a company. You can afford it. Go pick up a company, buy it and, and drive it. And of course I went and looked, I went and looked and where I was interested in health, I found multiple kind of doctor run companies and doctor run companies are run like doctor's offices. And, but I didn't know that day one. So I took, you know, I went through the whole journey. I did all this due diligence and everything else. And I was like, I can't really find a company that, that I can buy for, you know, it, it, it just didn't happen for me. So I ended up actually, you know, connecting with Mike Snyder and just saying, I believe in a multi-amic future. I believe that we should look at the whole person. I believe we should pull all this data together. We should synthesize it. And only AI can actually make sense out of the synthesis. And we should help people not get sick, at least the basic lifestyle sickness. Yes, there are the genetic factors or lots of other factors. There, there's your zip code. There's so many things that you can't affect, but there's so many things you can So I kind of became obsessed with that. And I ended up starting a story and a company. And as he said, it, it is really, really hard. You know, Oracle was seven years. Oracle started in 1977. When I joined in 85, it was already eight years old. And then it went public the next year. So I guess one of the biggest things is overnight success takes 15 years. <laughs> and so it takes it takes a while you just have to stay at it and you have to just keep at it and have grit and good things happen okay now i have to ask a final question and i think i can <laughs> guess the answer or partially but i'm, I'm super interested to, when you don't when you don't need to or you don't need the money why take the pain of becoming the ceo oh. of a startup and i can oh. guess but i want to hear your version oh, oh my god well lots of reasons to serve because, you know, why did I start January? Because I could. You know, why people say, why do you, you know, why do you climb the Himalayas? Because it was there. It's like, how many people on this planet Earth have the money, the mental space, the the excitement, and the great? Because a lot of people want to change things. They just don't have to have three jobs and three kids, and they're running from place to place. They can't actually sit there and think about these really, really hard problems. So, you know, I, I started it because I've done everything else. I've, I've built, you know, great companies. I've invested in great companies. I've built two foundations. I've invested in a lot of great nonprofits. I've invested in a lot of social entrepreneurs. I've raised two amazing kids who are really just phenomenal people. And, you know, I was still, you know, early and I was, and, and I wanted to do something meaningful in my life. So in my first Life, I, you know, building, a, I hate to say the word, but building a monopoly. And then, you know, in my next career, philanthropy, giving money away and helping people and building, you know, communities. The best thing to do is to bring the two together. And if you can do well and do good, I think that's the ultimate. And I really wanted to crack that because not many people get to do that. Yes, you can build Facebook, but can you build, can you build something that does good? but also is sustainable and grows. That's what, that's what I was trying to solve for. So very, very, very interested in, in jumping. I wanted to, you know, do something meaningful for 15 years and, and, you know, do it again. The other thing is, I mean, I, I was, you know, on a very, very, very fast track at Oracle in my early years. And then I dedicated a few years to raising my family and 
running the family office and doing philanthropy, I left something on the table. I wanted to go back and get it. That's exciting. Well, thanks for making time for this. This has been really fun for me to hear about. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to meet you. And let's talk sometime about child sexual abuse prevention. Thanks again for doing this. Everybody go to January.ai. Bye now. That was great.